Welcome to the Boonville Worship Center Sermon Podcast. Good morning, good morning. Let's gather in in the house of the Lord. Welcome. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Boonville Worship Center. It's Sunday. It's communion day. Come take communion individually as a family. And let's just take the bread and the blood of Christ. This morning I was meditating on the prophetic word that David had of Christ on the cross, Psalm 22. And I was eating a pastry, drinking my coffee, and then I just started weeping and tears just started coming off my eyes and, the, and fell onto the page of the word deliver. And I just love that Jesus went through the pain so we could be washed clean, so we could be set free. In Psalm 22, verse 16, it says, For dogs have surrounded me, the congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. And get this, you have answered me. It says, you have answered me. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. And as we open up and we start to praise the Lord, I want to share this prophetic word, this vision. Heidi Baker wrote a book, and in her last chapter, it's called Supernatural Birth. And she said, I had a vision several years after coming to Mozambique in which the Lord showed me how he was going to release a movement of the supernatural love across the face of the earth. In this vision, I was taken up to heaven and suspended above the earth, around the earth surrounding the entire globe. I saw thousands upon thousands of chariots of fire. They were carrying the glory of the Lord. Inside each chariot sat two saints of God. They were totally transparent. There was nothing hidden in them. There was no darkness, nothing disguised, nothing covering them. They were transparent and full of glory, full of light. There was only one spot of color inside each saint. It was a huge, immense heart that went shoulder to shoulder. It was a heart beating with love and passion. It was a huge red heart. I looked up to heaven and there was Jesus. He is so beautiful. His eyes of love were looking upon me, melting me, causing my heart to go bigger still. I saw his heart and it was beating. I saw it beating and I heard it beating. I looked in the chariots at the saints of God 
and each huge heart of love was beating in rhythm with the heartbeat of Jesus. Each saint held a gleaming white gold sword and flames of fire were coming off them. It took two hands, two holy hands to hold each sword. Two white magnificent horses led each chariot. They were ready to run. They had veins on their necks and bits in their mouth. The reins were reaching straight up to heaven. The Lord Jesus said to me, tell the church, release control. I will hold the reins to this revival. I will decide where the chariots run. Tell the church to release the reins to me. Holy is the lamb. So Father, I just declare that we release control, that we lift up our voice and we worship you and we say that you answered us, you freed us, you delivered us, you saved us, you healed us. We declare that you are the Lord, holy is the lamb. We love you, Lord. We worship you. We give you this day. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. Thank you, Jesus, for your perfect leadership in every single one of our lives. God, I thank you for what you're doing in us, through us. And God, that it's increasing and increasing because your government increases forevermore and as we say yes to you today God the government of your kingdom is increasing in our hearts in this church into this region into our nation all across the nations God until your glory is covering the earth as the waters cover the sea God we thank you that we are not here today worshiping a God who is not completely victorious you are completely victorious and we worship you God we honor you God I thank you every single one of us your leadership is perfect I just declare that over every single heart here his leadership is perfect every single situation you find yourself in he's working it for your good he's working it for his glory thank you God that you can take the broken vessels of our lives and make them into something beautiful there's nothing wasted in your kingdom, God. You work all things together for our good. So we thank you today, Father. We place our trust in you. We bless your holy name. In Jesus' name. Yeah, let's ask, let's ask God to just bless our time in the word. Lord, you've given us your word for a very specific reason. And each passage has meaning to us. Help us to wrap our minds around what you want. Help my mind to wrap around what you want to share from your word today. So, so that we understand more what it is you're calling us to be. Don't, don't let our minds wander. <laughs> Lord, let our minds focus laser sharp on your word so that we come to grips with what you want from us, what you want to challenge us with, and what you want to bless us with as we walk every day as believers in Jesus Christ. So thank you for the time that you've given us together. Bless it, prosper it, and bring it to your glory in thy name. Amen. Amen. 
So today we're going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians. So in case you need help, that's right after 1 Corinthians. So the, the author of the books to the church in Corinth is the Apostle Paul. Personally, I believe Paul wrote seven letters to churches and seven letters to individuals. That would have to include then the book of Hebrews. We can debate on that later. If you want, you can take me out to coffee and tell me why I'm wrong on that one. But it makes a really nice structure. <laughs> you got seven and seven. Anyway, so I, this is Apostle Paul, and he's talking to a, a church, honestly, that he loves. If you're a parent and you have multiple children, like three or four, you probably have one of each. And you know what I mean. All your kids are different. Some of your kids are trouble. That's how they, they came out of the womb that way. <laughs> I, I heard an amen. I, you got the most chill child. Goodness. <laughs> so being a parent, you labor sometimes. Why is my son or my daughter doing that? And you pray and you labor and you, you, you hang on to the Lord in those times when you just don't know what to do. And that's exactly the way Paul is here. He's got a church that he dearly loves. He spent more time in the city of Corinth than with any of the other churches that he planted. And so we have two letters from Paul that we have in the canon of Scripture. I would say that there were actually four letters that Paul wrote, but we only have two of them in Scripture. I think he wrote one before 1 Corinthians. I think he wrote one after 1 Corinthians. There, we don't have them. And some people think because the church of Corinth was so much trouble that somebody got them and buried them or burned them. Um, Paul's got some strong words, as we're going to see in the last chapter of 2 Corinthians. So he spent 18 months in Corinth, and I don't know if you know where Corinth is. If, if you know what the geography of, uh, so here's Italy, here's Greece. At the very southern tip of Greece is Athens. It's an amazing city. We were there in March. And right across that, that uh, sort of a peninsula there is the city of Corinth. There's this huge man-made canal that connects the uh, Aegean and the Adriatic Sea. It's so deep, it's like looking in the Grand Canyon. So the, the geography of the region is amazing, honestly. So that's where we're at. We're at the very southern tip of that, the Grecian Peninsula. And Paul visited there three times. The, where we're at in this book, he's, he's on his third missionary journey, and he's trying to find out, how are things in the church? And I would tell you that what the condition of the church is today is probably no different in some cases than what the Apostle Paul experienced in this church that gave him incredible heartburn. 
I could see him popping the, the Tums, if they had Tums back then. Um, he, he was stressed out about that relationship. And in the book of 2 Corinthians, what we find in all the Pauline letters, we find less systematic theology, less doctrine, and a lot more of Paul. You really, really get the angst that's in his gut about this church. And I think it's important that we get that as we look at this, this last chapter of the book. So I want, I want to give you a couple samples from the book of 1 Corinthians of what Paul was dealing with in this church. So uh, you, can, you can leave your finger there and go with me, or I'll just read. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not exist, even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. Maybe our church is worse today, I don't know. You have become arrogant and have not mourned. Instead, so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. For I on my part, though absent in body, he was riding away from the church, but present in spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this as though I were present. That's one problem. 1 Corinthians 6, chapter, or chapter 6, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And now when I read this passage, there's probably nobody that's excluded from this list. So don't think because you're on this list, you can't go into the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus came. He came to cover my sin. Okay? So don't get hung up on what's in this passage. But Paul says, do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers, Long list. will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed. <laughs> Hallelujah. You were sanctified. And you have been justified. Big word meaning that God, the righteous judge, declares sinful man to be righteous in right relationship with him. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. This is what Paul was dealing with in this church. Now remember, like a parent, you love your child. Sometimes you love them to death. But you, you struggle when they're not following what you know are the words of God, the precepts of God in their life. I can say amen to that. I know a number of people in this congregation can raise their hand and say, yes, I've got that one son or daughter that I have to pray for every day, multiple times a day. Yeah, so that's Paul. That, that's what he's talking about in this, in this church. So let's read chapter 13 a little bit. So now, now that you've got a little bit of background, this is the third time I'm coming to you. Okay, so what time of his visits is it? <laughs> third, thank you. It's the third of his visits to, to the church in Corinth. And now for some reason, he quotes from Deuteronomy. Every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. 
What's that got to do with anything? Well, I think, I think it's like his third visit to Corinth is like that third witness, okay? So in the church in Corinth, there were people that I would call super apostles. They thought they were really, really full of apostleship, I guess. Is that, that's not a word. I just made up a word. Um, I'm kind of like Pastor Scott. I make up words on the fly. <laughs> I know, don't go there. Um, <laughs> They thought they were better than everybody else. They thought they were better than Paul. In fact, they doubted his apostleship. They said, you're not sent from God. You're saying stuff like, grace covers my sin. That can't be. So they rejected Paul's ministry. That's another part of what was going on in that church. So I think here, he's quoting from Deuteronomy. Paul's a Jew, right? With Roman background, he knows both sides of the coin, and he quotes from the the Torah as as we moved into this book. So verse 2, I've previously said when present the second time, and though now absent, I say in advance to those who have sinned in the past and to all the rest as well. That didn't leave too many, I guess. And if I come again, I will not spare anyone. Yeah, these are strong words, aren't they? Since you are seeking for proof of the Christ who speaks in me, and who is not weak toward you, but mighty in you. He's giving them the benefit of the doubt, isn't he? He's saying, I know your behavior, but I know your Savior. <laughs> and there's, there's life in you. I believe in you. You ever tell that to your kids? I believe in you. I want you to be the best that you can be. That's what Paul's saying to the church here. Okay, verse 4. For indeed he was crucified because of weakness. Jesus was crucified because of weakness? Yes. He hung on a cross out on that Roman road naked. For me, it had to be done. There was no other way to cover my sin. And in weakness, he hung there. But what does Paul say? Yet he lives because of what? The power, the dunamis of God, the dynamite of God. That's who he says Jesus is. Not was, is. For we also are weak in him, yet we shall live with him because of the power of God directed toward you. He is giving them the benefit of the doubt. So here's here's a verse. Verse 5. Take the test. Test yourselves. All right. Students, you're back in school. Raise of hands, how many like to take tests? Not all. Brad's raising his hand. <laughs> how? Did you ever know anybody that liked tests? I never did. <laughs> you probably took him in the bathroom and did like a swirly or something to. <laughs> Everybody hated tests except a few people. <laughs> So Paul says, 
Take the test. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless you indeed fail the test. Okay. I'm going to give you some things to think about here. This is, this is just food for thought. Paul says examine yourselves. Well, how do we do that? Do we stumble and fall. So raise the hands of someone who's never stumbled and fell. And I don't mean literally stumbled and fell. See any hands up? No. We all do. But the grace of God, but the grace of God, but the grace of God covers my sin. Hallelujah. Yeah? For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. That's Paul in Galatians. And then in Ephesians, he says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Where does temptation come from? Well, the Bible says three places. The world, the world system, the cosmos, the world around us. That's probably enough for most Christians. Secondly, the flesh. My own sinful nature causes me to do things like Paul that he says, I don't want to do those things, but I do them anyway. Or I don't do the things that I should do. And then the third source of temptation is the devil. The world, the flesh, the devil. I don't think the devil has to work on too many of us, unfortunately. He can, anyway, the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's what Paul's talking about here. So he says, examine yourselves. Will we be perfect? Absolutely not. But here's some places to think a little bit, okay? Take the test. Do you have a love for God? I mean, that's pretty basic, right? I mean, used to be when I was growing up, everybody would say, well, yeah. I'm American, I love God. And country. <laughs> no, that, that's not what I'm talking about. So, John, book of John. Our small group studying this, and I'm beginning to get a better and better appreciation of what this book has got inside of it. John 14, John 14, you know that one? Let not your heart be troubled, that, that passage? Okay, John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Do you love God? Okay, so here's some topics to think about. Do you have the ability and the willingness to see and hear the truth? Sometimes you stumble over it. Sometimes you resist it. Again, book of John 27. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. 
right? And I know them, and they follow me. And John chapter 18, verse 37, this is an interesting exchange. This is Pilate and Jesus. And Pilate said to him, so, you're a king. Jesus answered, you say correctly that I'm a king, for I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to what? The truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So we had an interesting experience a couple weeks ago. Pastor Scott alluded to this. We went to a church in Owensboro. Didn't know anybody there. I didn't have to. Immediately, I knew that what they believed about Jesus, about the word and how it changes lives, it was immediate. I talked to people and we didn't have to say, well, what do you believe about this theology? We just knew. We just knew. And that's what believers do. They, they understand the truth and it becomes integral in your life. Isn't it great to go to a group of believers? You don't know anybody and yet you are at home. Isn't that good? Because that's what we share as believers in Jesus. So if you don't have that, take the test. Do we understand spiritual realities? Yeah. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Okay. So if you spend much time on Facebook or discussion boards, and you're talking with unbelievers, and they say, I don't get it. That's very, very true. Until the Spirit of God comes to live within you, what does Paul say? You don't get it. And sometimes the discussions are pointless. Right? Do you understand spiritual realities? So how are we doing on the test? Next one. The witness of the Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are Children, the Greek word there, technon, is loved little children. We are loved little children of God. Does the Spirit bear witness in your life? So, the test isn't over yet. I've got a couple more things to look at. Do you have a love for one another? John 13. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. The Greek word there implies that you're learners. You're ready to dig into the word. If you have what? Love for one another. And that doesn't mean, well, I love you because you're a Republican. And you supported this certain person that I won't name. It's got nothing to do with it. Love one another. In fact, what does Jesus say to love your enemy? Oh, man. 
Oh, man, that stinks. The guy who doesn't, who doesn't put down weed killer in his yard, and every week you've got the lawn service coming to keep those weeds out of your yard, and you see the weeds growing across your, your property line. Oh, I've got to love this guy. <laughs> I, that's, that's really minor, isn't it? I don't know why this came to mind, but I'll tell the story anyway. I lived in a house. It was a rental house. And I wondered why I had cockroaches in the house. <laughs> I hate cockroaches. Right? So one summer night, I went out, and I was standing in the yard, and I looked, and I saw just whole armies of cockroaches crawling from my neighbor's house to my house. And now I knew why. I had cockroaches. I went over and visited him, and I noticed around a picture in the living room, there was an entire, I mean, it wasn't just a family. It was like all generations of cockroaches were living just around that picture. I hate cockroaches. I'm sorry. Love one another. I knew that my neighbor didn't know Jesus just by the way he acted. So I had to put the cockroaches aside and love my neighbor. Ooh, I hired an exterminator to go to his house. Not my house, his house. <laughs> love one another. And then lastly, in this list of examining yourself, do you have a genuine sorrow over sin? Ugh. Romans chapter 6, verse 14, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? Paul says, may it never, ever, ever be. Don't use grace as an excuse to sin. Ooh. Okay, how do we do on the test? I'm not asking for a show of hands. This is, this is um, one of those you don't have to hand. When you were in school and the teacher said, put away your books, get out a piece of paper and a pencil, and we're going to have a test. <laughs> and you go, oh, man, I didn't study, I didn't study, I didn't study. Oh, can I fake it? <laughs> is it multiple choice? Here, students, if you get a multiple choice test, I learned this on Gomer Pyle. You assign your fingers letters, A, B, C, and D, and you go like this. And the one that hurts the longest is the right answer. <laughs> Just trying to help. <laughs> oh, brother. Okay. Sorry, teachers. Um, how was the test? Well, we're, we're going to move on from the test. So let, let's go on here in, in chapter 13, v verse 6. But I trust that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. Paul is talking to those super apostles, those people that put him down as saying, he's not an apostle of God. He's not even from God. He's just Paul who's saying what he wants to say. Verse 7. Now we pray to God that you do no wrong, not that we ourselves may appear approved, but that you may do what is right, even though we should appear unapproved. Again, they've put him down. 
And Paul's reacting. He said, I'm going to come with severity if you don't get your act together. Paul wasn't necessarily forceful when he was there in person, but he was very forceful in his words. So verse 9, for we rejoice when we ourselves are weak. Paul's saying, when I'm weak, then you can be strong. This we also pray for, that you be made complete. Some translations have got the word perfect. And again, raise a hands for all the perfect people in here. Okay? No hands. That's a process, isn't it? It's called sanctification. It's God making me into what he wants me to be. That's a process. That's, that's our entire life. Once we come to Jesus and we're justified, then we're in this process of sanctification until we get to glory and then we experience glorification. It's a process. So that you may be made complete. So, verse 10, for this reason I am writing these things while absent, in order that when present I may not use severity, in accordance with the authority which the Lord gave me, Paul, for building up and not for tearing down. He's saying, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get in your business because I want to make you feel bad. I want to get in your business because I want you better. I want you to live more like Jesus and less like the world. I don't want this church in Corinth to look like other places. I want it to look like Jesus. He is laboring for like the child that he loves. And so this is a message that I have been in, had in my spirit for Wow, probably six months or more. So if you think I'm preaching this next part to you, it's not directed at anybody. So please don't think that. I'm the one he was talking to. No. If the Word of God speaks to you, let it speak, okay? I'm not talking to anybody in particular here. So we're down at verse 11. And this is the word that every person in the pew wants the pastor to say, finally. <laughs> or maybe your pastor says, in conclusion, number one. <laughs> one A, conclusion. Finally. So after all of Paul's words to the church in Corinth, he's saying, finally. And what's his next word? Brothers. And he, he means brethren and sisterin. Oh, that's not the right word. Um, sisters, that's it. Not sisterin. Um, brothers and sisters. So what is he calling them? He's, he's saying, even though you, you malign me, you pick on me, you say I'm not from God, you say I'm not an apostle, why should I believe you? He says, finally, Brothers and sisters. Why? Because he knows that in Christ, they are truly brothers and sisters. Some are further along that process of sanctification than others. Right? So he says, finally, brethren. 
you know, some things stick with you, and you really, you kind of wish they'd go away, but <laughs> I had a high school economic government teacher, and his favorite phrase was, consequently, subsequently, and quently, quently. I never understood that. But he said it all the time. And guess what? I've never forgotten it. That's kind of what Paul's saying here. Consequently, subsequently, and quently, quently, brothers, let's look at a few things together. Because we're brothers, and I want to look at these together. And we, we know that they had disagreements. But there is reconciliation. And so in verse 11, Paul gives some bullet points. Right? So we're going to go through some of these. And the first one is rejoice. Okay? Rejoice. I'm going to give you scripture to back this up, but rejoice. Do you see in that phrase anything that says rejoice because I have a 2023 Lincoln Navigator? I do not, by the way. Rejoice, because my child is an honor roll student, is the top of their class, and gets all kind of honors, unlike me. Rejoice, because my garden yields so many tomatoes that I have to bring them to church and give them to other people. And thankfully, Randy did not put the tomatoes where you could find them or I might be ducking so thank you, Randy. Rejoice, because things are really, really, really good. Is that what it says? No. It says rejoice. Period. Well, comma. Okay. So, you know, God works on you in, in these situations. You're reading the word and it says rejoice. Okay, no problem. No, wait a minute. Okay. At work this week... I was given a, a task that I still don't see the value in it, and it's taken me probably at least 16 hours of my time to do this task. I'd already done it one way, and the guy that I work with says, no, no, I want you to do it this way. <clears throat> and so I've complained to my wife, this is dumb. And then I read this word, what does it say? Rejoice! Really? Rejoice! Last trip we went to Iowa, I mean, you may remember this day, and actually I, I think it was my birthday. It was June 29th. The sky, we were getting ready to leave. It was early in the morning, and the sky, it was after dawn, but the sky was so dark, right, that it, you thought it was the middle of the night. It was a tremendous storm. So we just said, ah, okay, we'll wait it out. And then after we finally got on the road and we got in the middle of Illinois on, on Interstate 55, we saw a semi turned over in the median. Well, he must have had a wreck. And we saw another semi turned over in the median. And we saw another one. We saw a dozen semis turned over in the median. And then we found out that a tornado blew through there about an hour before. 
Guess where we would have been had we left when we wanted? Rejoice. We don't always get it because our view of what's going on is pretty puny. It looks bad, and you get frustrated, just like my little project at work. It's done, but I could have been doing what I think are more valuable things. Rejoice. Paul doesn't give any qualifiers here. He just says, rejoice. Okay, well, in case you don't believe me, let me give you a few scriptures to back this up. So Matthew 5, 12, rejoice and be very glad because your reward is great in heaven. Now, is that a reason to rejoice? Well, yeah, my reward in heaven is going to be great because God's blessed me. In spite of the flat tire on the car, in spite of being an hour late to get on the road, I have a blessing in heaven. <laughs> Rejoice. We don't see it. But it's there. So in, in Luke 15, 32, we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come alive. He was lost and he's been found. Who was that? That was the prodigal son. Rejoice. John 3, it is the bridegroom who has the bride, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly when he hears the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. John 14, you heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come back to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced. Really? I'm going away, and I want you to rejoice, because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Why did Jesus have to go away? So the Spirit could come and indwell me. It's a crazy plan. Jesus said, I'm going away, and the reason I'm going away is so the Spirit can come. And now, throughout the world, there's Christians that can show the love of Jesus. I get, I get really concerned, I guess, sometimes about how little we think about the persecuted church. Are you willing to give up your life for your faith? Because there are people that do on a regular basis. I look at some of the things that are in my life, like I'm an hour late to go on my trip. Yeah, big deal. Compare that to if I say Jesus, I know I may be tortured and killed. Is that perspective? It is for me. But yet, they rejoice. Acts 5. So they went rejoicing from the presence of the council because they had been considered worthy to suffer indignity on behalf of the name. Philippians 4, you know this one, 4-4. Four, four. Rejoice in the Lord how often? Always. You know it. You know it. You know the verse. Is that reality? Rejoice in the Lord 
always. And again, I say, rejoice. That's the first word in the list, rejoice. The next one is, in my translation, it says, be made complete. Oh, let me, let me run back to rejoice for a second. The Greek word there, chairo, is connected to the word charis, which is the Greek word for grace. Grace. Hmm. Rejoice. Because of the grace of God. Hmm. That puts a little different perspective on it, doesn't it? Be made complete. To strive for maturity. To make something complete. To repair to reconcile. I would interpret this as keep on being made complete. That's the tense of the verb. Keep on being made complete. So picture in your mind a torn piece of fabric. Being made complete is like taking those two pieces and putting them back together. I'm not a seamstress. My wife is. Do they call men seamstress? Is that? I, see, there's one of those questions you can Google for me. Oh, wow. Never mind. It's like a torn piece of fabric that is put back together. It's reconciled. It's put back in place. Keep on being made complete. But restoration requires action on your part. No relationship will ever be restored without somebody taking action. Both parties. Remember, I'm not talking to anybody in particular here. I had this message six months ago, so be made complete. Keep on being made complete. Next one, be comforted. So the Greek from this one is parakaleo, and you're saying, what has that got to do with anything? The Greek word for advocate, comforter. Jesus says, I will send the comforter to you. That Greek word is parakalitas. One called alongside to help. And this word is very much like that, parakaleo, to be comforted to be called near, to be called to one side. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. This is one that uh, Pastor Tony used to preach a lot. 1 Corinthians 14, and we've been there recently. Verse 3, but one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, exhortation, and consolation. In Pastor Tony speak, that was build up, stir up, cheer up. Does that make those words a little more meaningful? Be comforted. Do you have each other's back? There's a really interesting video of the Los Angeles Lakers. And a guy gets knocked down in the course of going to the basket, 
And two guys that are on the team come over, they grab his hands, and they pull him up. Right? We've all seen that. So, so in this instance, a guy got hit going for a layup, went to the ground, and nobody came over. Nobody came over to help him. And of all people, LeBron James says to that guy, you stay down until somebody comes and lifts you up. Wow, that's LeBron? That's what this is. Be comforted. You've got my back. I've got your back. That's kind of what this means. To be like-minded. So you may have said to your children, you may have said to your friends, if you just thought like me, we'd all be just fine. And you would be. No, 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 no. Be like-minded. What does that mean? That means that I can walk into the father's house in Owensboro and I don't have to say a word, and I know what it's like to be together with believers of like mind. Right? It's, it's, that's what it's about, to be like-minded. Are we going to differ on things? Well, absolutely. You're not going to have the same viewpoint of the end of times that I do. Do I care if you're mid-trib or post-trib? I'm millennial. No. I'm saved. You're saved. We're going to heaven. Okay. We can talk about the other stuff, but it doesn't make any difference. So don't get hung up on things that don't make any difference. So the Bethel Ministerial Association has got this statement on their website, and I think it's good. In all things essential, unity. In things non-essential, liberty. In all things, charity. Be like-minded. So what, if, if we were going to say, okay, this is what we all believe. Can you make a list? Well, I'm going to give you a, a short list here. I believe in the inspiration of Scripture. I believe that as God breathed Theophanustas, that it is inerrant in the original manuscripts. I believe in the inspiration of Scripture. I believe it is God giving us His words so that we understand who He is. I believe that God reveals Himself as one God. The Jewish people say it every day. They say Shema. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. The Lord our God is one God. But how does He represent Himself? In three persons, right? We're studying. Pastor Jason's doing a study on Wednesday night. If you haven't been here, be here. It's great. He reveals himself as Father, Son, and Spirit. Okay? Number three, the uniqueness of the Son of God, Jesus. He had a virgin birth. Anybody disagree with me yet? The necessity of the cross. There is no other way to come to God except through that bloody instrument of torture 
and a resurrected Jesus. Paul said that earlier. He died in weakness, but he rose in power. Yeah? And we all believe, I think, in an eternal state. Some people would disagree with that. Called annihilationists. That, you know, life's over, everything's done. We die like dogs. I don't believe that. I don't believe the word teaches that. I believe there is an eternal state where either you accept Jesus and you live with him forever and reign with him, or there is punishment. I mean, the word's pretty clear on this. So if you haven't disagreed with me yet, then we're like-minded. In things essential unity, in things non-essential liberty, in all things charity, be like-minded. Live in peace. Tell that to the Jewish people. They're the state of Rhode Island away from humongous arrays of missiles. Live in peace. In Hebrew, it's shalom. In the Greek, it's irene. And then look how this, look how this ends. And you can misinterpret this. So rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. Do you read that as an if statement? If you do these things, the God of love and peace will be with you. That's not what it says. It is not a conditional clause. What it says is if you do those things, God's love and God's peace will live in you. That's a big difference from saying, if I do these things, then God will love me. Well, Jesus did say, if you love me, keep my commandments. But who was that for? That was for me. When you tell your child, don't do this, or parents, have you ever pulled this one out? I'm doing this for your own good. <laughs> I've done that. And I get the, the look from the kid like, yeah, really. Really? I'm doing this for your own good. <sighs> Paul is saying, rejoice, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace. What did I miss? Be made complete for your own good. <laughs> because of those things, God's love and God's peace will live in you. Okay? So... Let's go to verse 12. And you wondered when I was going to get to this one, right? So as a teenager in my high school youth group, I read this verse and I thought, cool. There are some girls in our high school youth group that I would like to greet with a holy kiss. <laughs> Boy, that really sounded carnal, didn't it? Pay no attention to that front row. Uh, that was just me being a teenager. Trust me, that's not what it says. <laughs> so what's holy? Holy, hagios, means set apart for God. 
that's not what the stupid kiss that I was talking about in my mind is about. So if you've been to Europe or have you seen European movies, you'll see them do this, right? The kiss on each cheek. And you think, even in COVID times, they would do that. Let's greet one another. That was their practice back then. So we don't do that too much here in the States, right? So I thought, is there a way that I can illustrate this? Greet one another with a holy kiss. And then I got thinking, yeah. So Mike Smith, would you come up here and help me? You're worried. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. Okay. Okay. Just stand there. <laughs> My brother, I love you. You're a man of God. You listen to my stupid jokes and you don't make fun of me. I can come to you and I can tell you anything. <laughs> I love you because you let me be me. And my brother, I pray for you because I know your physical eyesight is deteriorating. I pray that God will heal you. But you know what I've seen? I have seen your spiritual eyesight grow. I can see words of knowledge coming from you. I can see prophecy coming from you. I see discerning of spirits coming from you. And when your eyes don't work, praise God. I'll rejoice. Because he's going to make you way more than just seeing things. My brother, I love you. I love you. And I'm saying it before a whole group of people because God has blessed you in an incredible way. I pray blessings over your family. Here and abroad, I pray blessings over everything that you have been given by God to do so that you might increase in his work. Thank you, Jesus, for a loving brother like my brother Mike. Greet you with a holy kiss. <laughs> waiting to do that for six months, by the way. <laughs> Greet one another with a holy kiss. <sighs> wow, now I got to keep preaching. Um, let's go on. So Paul in verse 
13 says, all the saints greet you. Okay, so this is not a football team, in case you had that thought in your mind. You watched the Colts play yesterday, and you, oh, it's football season, or, oh, it's football season. This is not that kind of saint, right? And saints are not people that a group of uh, bishops get together and say, because of your great works, we're going to call you a saint. So there's saints and there's ain'ts. <laughs> Just calling it like the word says, I'm St. Jim or St. James. That's better. That sounds better, doesn't it, St. James? But you're St. Reed and St. Craig, St. Lucas. As believers in Jesus Christ, we're called saints. We're called a royal priesthood. <laughs> we're called to be so much more. And so Paul is trying to pull it all together. He's saying, as saints, we believe in the things of God. We may disagree on the minor stuff, but be like-minded. We're all saints. So I want to wrap this up with a, a verse that goes right along with what Pastor Jason is preaching on Wednesdays. And maybe he's quoted this one. I don't remember. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's word number one. Grace. I know Pastor Jason hates acrostics, but I'm going to do it anyway. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's how we remember grace. And the love, the agape, of God. And you think, agape, well, that, that means to be totally given over to God. No, it means to be totally given over to something. When, when Jesus says, love not the world, he's using the word agape there. Really? Yeah. Don't be totally given over to the world. But here, here in this phrase that Paul's wrapping up his, his letter, this church has given him so much heartburn and he's saying the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, and the koinonia, the fellowship of the saints, be with, and this is where I'm convinced that Paul is from the south. Because he says what? Y'all! Y'all! <laughs> So let the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And to that, we would say one word, the word, amen. Amen. Paul wraps up his letter in really stupendous fashion. I want to read this from the message. Because I think it really, it really kind of gets at the heart of this. So this is Eugene Peterson. And he says here in the message, verse 11, and that's about it, friends. That's what he says. Be cheerful. Keep things in good repair. Keep your spirits up. Think in harmony. Be agreeable. 
Do that, and the love of God and peace will be with you for sure. Greet one another with a holy embrace. All the brothers and sisters here say, hello. And here's verse 14. The amazing grace of the Master, Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God, and the intimate fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. So I ran across this quote from Walt Disney, and I thought it was pretty good. The way to get started is to quit talking and begin doing. I've given you some action points this morning. Well, actually, Paul did. I just kind of spelled them out a little bit. Rejoice. Be made complete. Be comforted. Be like-minded. Be at peace. And greet one another with a holy kiss. That's Paul's admonition to this church that has caused him so much angst and sleepless nights. What does he say? I love you. What do you say to your child that you just, you just what am I going to do? You say, that's it. I love you. I mean, it's that simple. I love you. And I'm always going to be here for you. And that's what Paul's saying. So I'd like to ask the worship team if they'd come. And I want to tell you a story from home. Now, this is not Garrison Keillor. This is not Lake Wobegon stories. In case you don't know who, oh, never mind. Garrison Keillor, look him up. Um, so I attended the University of Iowa, Iowa City. And the way Kinnick Football Stadium is laid out, you've got the stadium, and then right next to it is the University of Iowa Children's Hospital. And there are huge row of big plate glass windows there. And there's something that happens at the end of the first quarter of every football game. The kids that are there in that, that wing are most all terminal. They may not have a lot of people to come visit them. They may not have a lot of hope or love or anything in their life. But at the end of the first quarter, the parents line all those kids up along, along those plate glass windows. And they're ready. Because when the quarter's over, the football team, the opposing football team, the entire stands, all the coaching staff, they turn around and they wave at those kids who may not have any hope at all. And for that one little brief second, they feel like somebody cares. Somebody was willing to stop an important football game and wave at me. Oh, by the way, go Hawks. Um, that's what Paul's doing here. He's saying to a church that has just run him ragged, I love you. I want the best for you. I've given you multiple letters that tell what I think God is saying to you. But in all of that, I give you one word. 
Rejoice. Rejoice. Let's stand. Let's come to God. If you got anything that in, in those words that I've given you is like, oh, man, I need to lay that at the altar. That rejoice part really, really hit me as I was preparing this week. You have anything like that? Be like-minded. Be comforted. Be made complete. And be at peace. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Listen, just came to me. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with a train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another across the expanse, what do they say? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filled with smoke. And then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Holy is our God. Holy is the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. We are a blessed people. Lord, help us to live like the blessed people that you call us to be. Help us to go this week. Help us to live in that mindset, to rejoice, to be comforted, to live like-minded, to be at peace, to be made complete. And maybe even, Lord, help us to greet someone with a holy kiss. And in doing that, we show the love of God to people that need to see the love of God. Thank you for your word, and thank you that it speaks to me directly. So go. Go in the name of Jesus and be blessed. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Thank you for joining us this week. Until next time, 